And good morning again, everybody. Good morning. Let's see. Here. End of invitation number 31. Drifting too far from the shore. If you want to go ahead and mark that in your hymnals. And of course, as uh, we've mentioned here several times, 190 years. 190th homecoming. I guess they, they had homecomings back in the early years. None of us around. Uh, except for maybe except for Dave could remember if they had a first homecoming that year or not. Uh, uh, but but certainly uh, it's a, it's a privilege to be able to continue to con continue the tradition and the worship and the service of this community a uh, hundred and ninety years uh, into this and. Uh, according to when the Lord returns, 190 more years, if that's in his plan. Uh, if you've never had the opportunity or just took a moment to stop and read, uh, inside the little landing there going upstairs, there is that oral history that uh, Mervyn Carr Sr. wrote down for us, and we had a picture of the rock uh, that Harold mentioned in his prayers. Uh, they called Church Rock now. Uh, it was on the river at that time. It's on Laurel Lake now, but uh, it, it's interesting to read. Uh, and encourage you to do that. So certainly glad to have everybody here with us. If you're signing on or logged into Facebook, good to have you with us or YouTube later on. And we're glad that you're here celebrating uh, this anniversary as well. Uh, we're also privileged this morning to have Brother Randy Wickham uh, be speaking for us uh, on this occasion this morning. And uh, he spoke uh, a few weeks ago, enjoyed his message, and I look forward to his installment today as well. So, Brother Randy, if you will, come on up. And, and uh, let's uh, everybody make Brother Randy feel welcome as he comes to sharing God. Christ is my Savior. And I praise God that He is your Savior too. And as we think about 190 years, that's a long time. Um, there's probably very few here that are half 190. Okay? That's going to be what? Um, 50, 95. Anybody 95 here today? Well, I just want to let you know that somebody had to have a vision 190 years ago. Somebody had to have a, a, a desire 
to put a church right here in our county. Somebody had to know that Jesus wanted them to serve this community. And so a group of dedicated people, I haven't read your history, but a group of dedicated people started this church 190 years ago because they were motivated by a Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit has not changed as we consider our worship today. The message I have for you this morning is, is working together in the body of Christ. I guarantee you one person did not work by his or herself to put this church together back in 1830. I guarantee you. There had to be more than just one. And I don't know how many there were, but the point is they were all working together because they were a body of Christ. I mean, that just makes sense, doesn't it? It is. People were working together to make sure that the gospel of Jesus Christ was going to be presented in a building on this land or wherever it began. I assume it was just this place. And we need to understand that that's, has, that desire has not continued, it has continued, for the Holy Spirit to impress upon us that same way. Now, I know there's a, a, a luncheon planned for today, and you know there had to be a team of people put that together. Now, we've got to understand that that's the way that Christ has intended everything work. It starts with the individual who, who accepts Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but then he intends those individuals who are individually saved and they're responsible for their own, their own following of Christ to work together with other people to do exactly that. They're, they're emboldened together. They're encouraged together. They're directed by the Holy Spirit together. And to put things together like that means that more people have a better chance of getting exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to turn our attentions this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In this passage, passage of Scripture, Paul, he addressed the Corinthian church as brothers. He cared for them and he wanted to hear what God had in store for them to hear. So in order to understand what Paul was saying in this passage, we have to know the history of the Corinthian church. And I'm not going to go through all of it this morning. But we, we find the backstory of the Corinthian church in Acts chapter 18. Paul came to the city of, of Corinth and began to preach there. And as he did in every other city he visited, he, he focused on the gospel being spread to the people. He stayed for about a year and a half, and he planted a church in a church in Corinth, in the city of Corinth. And after Paul left to continue that missionary work, a well-educated man by the name of Paulus, he showed up, and after being instructed by by some of the leaders of the church, and precisely mentioned is Priscilla and Aquila, if you remember that. He began to preach boldly about Jesus Christ. And when we understand that Paul went into the city of Corinth as a missionary, when he wrote to verses 1 and 2, that makes more sense because we're going to get to these first these verses in just a second as we, as we follow along here this morning. But when Paul first came to Corinth, he bottle-fed the gospel to the people of this community. 
They were new Christians. He took it easy, did not go into deep, deep understanding of the gospel, but he gave them what he felt and the Holy Spirit felt they needed. So he kind of spoon-fed them very gently. Paul wasn't chastising them because they only had the basics at that time. But going on, we need to understand that we can look at this situation and ask, what can we do? What can we plan to forego the problems that were being had in the, in the Corinthian church? Now, I'm not going to go into all the problems this morning, but I do want, to under, I want you to understand that Paul initially spoon-fed them, but then he expects them to grow up. If you're a Christian this morning, he expects you to continue to grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. We are to grow up. Read with me 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. This is Paul speaking. He says, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but worldly. Mere infants of Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. Spiritual maturity means more than just learning a whole bunch of, bunch of facts and getting rid of the fiction. I remember for many years in my adult life, I would not even consider the ministry because I didn't think I had enough head knowledge. I didn't think I had enough, enough facts memorized from the Bible. So as much as I loved Jesus, I was content to, to, well, for too long to stay in the pew. Maybe be there every Sunday. But did I want to get involved? Well, I didn't have the confidence. And that's what, that's what staying involved in church does. It continues to give you confidence. You attend things like Sunday school and you learn more and more about who Jesus is. But that doesn't happen overnight. <coughs> you are to be faithful. And you'll grow as you continue to be faithful. But that what, that's what Paul is expecting them to do. Now I came across a, a neat quote from uh, a preacher by the name of John MacArthur recently. Now, John MacArthur is being in, in the news a lot lately because he's refusing to close his church in California. But I don't necessarily agree with everything John says from a doctrinal standpoint, but he did make an interesting observation. John writes the following. The church has often thought of worldliness only in terms of dancing and alcoholic drinking and things like that. But worldliness is much deeper than bad habits. It is an orientation, a way of thinking, and a way of believing. Basically, it is buying off on the worldly philosophies, buying off on the importance of human wisdom. It is looking to the world Worldliness is looking to the human leaders to influence and, and the popular people, to neighbors, associates, fellow students, for our standards, attitudes, and meaning. 
Worldliness is accepting the world's definitions, the world's measuring sticks, and the world's goals. Now, I listed several things there, or I should say MacArthur did. He listed several things there. What standards are we following? What things are coming in front of our relationship with Jesus Christ? We're not to, to follow the world simply because it's in front of our eyes. Seeing is believing, they say, but that's not always the truth. We have been given a standard to follow. And if, if you don't believe what you hear, believe what you read. We're to follow this standard. We're to follow this that God gave us. And we're to follow the standards that Jesus set. Down. We're to die daily. That's what Scripture says. Jesus died that we may have life. And that's a fundamental fact that we, we cannot ignore. And we don't want to put it aside. We don't want to put it at a lower priority. We want Jesus to be first in our life. We need to learn that as a church, we are to grow up as well. We're to step out. We're to have faith. And those are, are, are world, worldly. They don't, they're not worldly inputs. They are not things that, that we're to focus on from a worldly standpoint. We're to focus on those, those things from a, a Christian standpoint, from a follower of Jesus standpoint. As long as we buy into the world's philosophies and the world's way of, of thinking and believing, we will have the same kinds of problems that the world has today. If we look to the, to the world for our answers, the same results are going to appear in our lives as Christians. Is that something we want? Well, we can see it's, an important, it's important for us to grow up in our thinking and in our actions. But then the question becomes, how do we go about it? How do we go about growing up into the standards, into following the standards of, of Jesus and that he set before us? I think that there are three basic ways of, of working at growing spiritually. The first one is that, that we need to spend time learning about God and ourselves. Now, I think it's important, it's, it's, it's significant right now, and I think it's a shame that, that Sunday school is not allowed. Now, I don't mean the eldership here, I'm just saying that we're, we're under constraints from a state standpoint, that, that there's some things that we cannot do. But Sunday school was my Bible education for years and years and years. All the things that, that any, or I'm just saying anything that I know about, the basics were learned in Sunday school. I love my Sunday school teachers. They were neat people. Those of you who attend Sunday school, can you remember your teachers as, as a youth? I remember a lady by the name of Madeline Stoltz. She, she uh, helped me learn the Ten Commandments. And that was about 1963. And after I learned my Ten Commandments, she reported that to the elders, and I was given my first Bible. I still got it in my in my on my bookshelf. Kind of raggedy now. But 
Sunday school education is important. Reading in the Bible for yourself, that kind of an education is important. You don't have to be a biblical scholar. You need to be a, a scholar of Jesus. And you know what the definition, the rough definition of the word scholar is, is a learner. Is someone who studies. So you don't, a scholar does not mean that you spent years and years and years and years in Bible college. But it might mean you spent years and years and years in the Bible. <coughs> we need to learn about God and ourselves. When we read the Bible, it will cause us to ask questions. And when we have questions, that will cause us to seek out answers. And as you search and as you seek, you'll understand more about the basics because you're, you're using those basics to undercover, to uncover more, more facts about Christ as you search. And it's okay if you come away with more questions than you started with, but just be aware of those and then seek out the expert. And I'm talking about God. As you pray to God, as you ask Him for His understanding, that yours will increase, he will give you that understanding. You need to have faith that he will. And it's just neat the way that works. But give it a chance. You also need to be honest with yourself. Too often we feel that, that we have to hide things from one another. Let me ask you this morning, are you, are you completely honest when you answer questions that people ask you? Or do we tap to around them? Do we, do we just kind of kind of come up with some answer that sounds good as opposed to the, the truthful answer? I've never made this something to, to, to study, but I wonder if what percentage it would be of the, the standard answer when somebody asks how you are that your standard answer is, I'm fine. Is there anybody here that has never used that word, that phrase, that answer? How are you today? Oh, I'm fine. Or maybe you don't even put the I'm on. How are you today? Fine. In other words, I want to change the subject real quick. I don't want to talk to you about how I really am. I don't think you've got the time to hear all about my aches and pains. I don't think you have the time to hear all the troubles. Um, I may have said this last time I preached too, but uh, uh, hee-haw. The song, the music earlier. Show hee haw. Anybody remember hee haw? I'm sure you do, right? Some of you are free to admit it. But, but hee haw. There used to be a, a sketch on that show with the three or four old guys sitting on the front porch. You know what they were saying? Live despair and agony on me. And then somebody goes, Whoa. I think of that a lot. Not that I. I'm dispatching gloom and despair. I'm just saying, we get into that mode. How's your How's your health today? Well, we're, we're praise God, we're we're healing fine. How about that for an answer? How How are you feeling today? Well, you know, I I think that God's continuing to work on me. That should be our our answer to every question. We should maybe start out that way. God's still working on. God ain't finished with me yet. What answers do we have that we, we, we spit out before we even think about it? 
too often we have to hide things. We don't grow because we don't want anyone to know what we're really like. So we pretend. So we face our battles alone. We don't grow because we're too busy hiding. But before we can be honest with each other, we have to be honest with God, don't we? God already knows our struggles and what we're thinking, so why do we try to hide? So let me encourage you to simply be honest with the Lord and do what's right in His eyes. Another point. We need to follow directions. We need to follow directions. We need to do what we've been told to do. The world gives us all sorts of rules to live by, and we understand most of those rules. And we follow them because they make sense to us or because we know that there are consequences for our disobedience. God has given us rules to live by. And when we follow His rules, even when they don't make sense to us, when we follow His rules, we will grow. Now that's pretty straightforward. Where do you find His rules? I've held this up once already, and here's a second time. We find His rules here. We find His rules in church. We are encouraged in church. We find rules and advice from like-minded believers. We are following those, those rules. God's not going to crack a whip on us. But he's going, to, he's going to tell us and guide us and direct us because he knows what's best. So doesn't it make sense for us to follow those rules? We are obedient to God's commands. And when, when we are obedient to God's commands, we will see that he truly knows what he's talking about. He's been around. So the first principle to learn from the passage of Scripture that I read from 1 Corinthians is to grow up. And then the second principle that we should, we should learn from this passage of Scripture is to fulfill your purpose. Fulfill your purpose. Paul addressed a specific problem in the Corinthian church. And it's back to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where I continue in the verses 3 through 9. Paul doesn't pull any punches. He's writing this letter to the Corinthian church, and there's all kinds of problems there, and he, he emphasizes that. Verse 3 starts out, You are still worldly. Now Paul's been to the Corinthian, or he formed the Corinthian church, and now this is another visit. But he left them in one, in one particular state, hoping they would encourage each other. So now he's writing the letter, and he says, you are still worldly. In other words, he's compared what he left to what they are doing now. And he says, you are still worldly. For since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, 
And another, I follow Apollos. Are you not mere men? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he nor he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God. God makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So you see what Paul's driving at? In other words, I left you at this point. Right now you should be at this point. He says, you have a job to do. Some water, some plant the seed, some shine the light. There's things for everybody to do. In every Christian situation that is existing here this morning, God has endowed you with desires and motivations that you're to use to further his kingdom. I had a, uh, had a friend, he passed away about five years ago. Uh, one of the nicest guys you'd ever want to meet. And he, he would probably say that he only had one, one talent. And that was drawing. Anyway, he would, he would be in a restaurant, him and his wife, and they'd, they'd go on vacation. He was retired. Uh, he'd go on, they'd go on vacation across the country, but every restaurant they would stop in, he would he carried pins in his pocket. Different, he had probably four or five ballpoint pins, different colors in his pocket. And they'd get a, they'd get a napkin, maybe it'd say a Wendy's. They like Wendy's. They're yellow napkins. If you remember Wendy's, yellow napkins. And he'd start to draw. And he'd draw, and he'd draw, and he'd spend about 15 minutes maybe drawing on that napkin. And what he would do, he would look around that, that restaurant dining room. And then he'd look at his wife, and he wouldn't even have to say anything. She knew what he was going to do. He'd get up with that napkin. And he'd walk over to maybe an older person that looked lonely. Maybe a younger mother with a couple of kids. And if there was two kids, he had to do, if he drew one, he'd have to draw another. Because he, he used his God-given talent. He wasn't a singer by his own definition. He studied the Bible, and he drew. And he'd do his best to use his gift to praise his Lord. And there was a restaurant in a town where we used to live years ago. And that restaurant, their walls were completely covered with his drawings that he'd drawn over the years. And he'd do that to bring glory to God. To lift somebody out of a, a deep depression, perhaps. He didn't know exactly their status other than what he observed. And that's just one example that I could think of off the cuff here that, that reminds me of someone that's using their talents and using their gifts to further the cause of Jesus Christ. Are we doing that? 
those gifts in this room of hospitality. And I, I dare say that they were used in organizing the, the meal we're going to have in a little bit. Now, there's all kinds of gifts. I'm just saying, you know what they are, more than likely, and God knows what they are. And He wants you to use them. God is not pleased if we are not using the gifts He's given us. Use them. Ask God what you should use them for, and He'll let you know. He'll let you know. We're to live the life that Jesus wants us to live. This, this virus that we're influencing a lot right now. Life has changed. God has not changed. He is still God. He is still ultimately in control. The things that are happening to us now has maybe never happened to anybody else in the history of our, our country. But God is still God. We're to follow Him. How many, regarding this virus, how many different different pieces of advice have we, have we been given by well-meaning friends, well-meaning doctors, well-meaning governments, governors, well-meaning well-meaning governments. It all it, it seems like everything is contradicted ultimately. God is not in any way an author of contradiction. And we can count on that. And we can have faith in that. God doesn't tell us to be successful. Do you ever notice that? tells us to be obedient. Be obedient. So, where do we go from here? The church in Corinth was facing all sorts of problems and we should learn from their problems so that we don't repeat them. That comes, that knowing about what problems the Corinthian people have come through comes from God's Word. From reading that. It's important. It's important for us to grow spiritually. Through spending time learning about God, talking to Him, and following His commands. It's also important for us to be farmers. What? I know we have some farmers in our midst today. But we are to be farmers. We are to do the work that is necessary to prepare for the harvest. We're to put the things that Scripture has for us into practice and let God work it out. I want to challenge you this week to put this idea of planting, and that's, that's our farming, planting, watering, tending, maintenance, and the harvest. Keep that in mind this week. Fulfill your purpose in some way. Now, please don't say, well, you know, I can't, this is going to be a bad week for me to, to do anything like that. I'll give it some time and uh, uh, I'll do it someday. Someday. You may not have a Sunday. <clears throat> Plant a seed. Water a seed. 
prepare for the harvest, whatever's needing it needed at the time. Each of us have a job to do, so let's do it. There are all sorts of people with whom you can plant seeds. And I would encourage you to think about the people that you encounter every day. It's just amazing. If we leave our house at all, we'll come in contact with other people, won't we? Whether it's Kroger or Walmart or the gas station. We are constantly coming in contact with people. And that's what the world is worried about because we're going to contact some people and maybe get a virus or, or give a virus. But the point is that we grow the kingdom. God grows the kingdom by allowing us to be used. He gives us the privilege of being used. We're to seek first His kingdom. And the other things will, will happen. And I know because I've had it happen and work that way. I encourage you to do something to let the people that you come in contact with know how much you are appreciated. I encourage you to do something that shows Christ's love to them. Talk to somebody about their life. Maybe they're just dying to talk to somebody. At our old church, I got to know a couple of brothers. And it turns out now, after about two years of one of them being in the, home, in the nursing home, the other brother had joined him in the nursing home. So they're rooming together now. And I guarantee you that if, if, uh, if you want to get to know somebody real well, you, you room them with them. Stay in the same room together. <coughs> And they're brothers. I know how brothers interact. But they're both in the nursing home right now. One of them was just placed in the, in the hospital this last week. But I initially made an effort to go out and call on the brothers. And I did so for about a year. And then the COVID thing hit. And we can't get into the nursing home anymore. But I ministered to him, to them, a solid every Wednesday for six months or so. I'm not saying this to pat, pat myself on the back. I'm saying that, that things have flip-flopped. I get a call from one of the brothers every week. He calls me because he knows I've had some health issues lately. He's calling me now. Well, I can't cut that lie, so I call him back. And the wires get kind of hot from all of the phone calls back and forth. Him calling me, I'm calling him, him calling me. You know, it's, it's, it's we, the healthy ones, that are supposed to minister to the sick ones. But here's a sick person going out of his way to minister to me. I always ask about Brenda. How's she doing? That'll happen if you step out in faith. Those kind of relationships happen when you step out in faith. But I encourage you, to, again, to talk a little bit. Talk to them about their life. And then listen. Let them tell you. Be attentive because God may have put you in contact with this person so that you can plant a seed. 
we have to trust God enough to do what we're told. We have to trust God to plant those, those seeds. We have to trust that if, if we plant seeds, that He will make some of them grow. But it's up to us. And He's asked us to do the work. Not just set on our thumbs. But I'd also encourage you to look for ways to water the seeds that are already growing. Look for the people that you can encourage, whom you can help to grow in their, in their faith and water the seed. I want to challenge you to put these, these things that I've mentioned this morning into practice. Maybe even this afternoon you might have an opportunity to do that. Plant or water a seed and, and, and mention it as a blessing next Wednesday evening. You know, Wednesday evening we have prayer time. And, and prayer time is not just about asking for health or wanting something for yourself. But, to, we, but to let people understand that we can also ask that blessings be given, the glory be given to God. In our life, Brenda and mine in particular, our lives have been full of so many blessings over the last 8, 10, 12 months. I dare say that, that even though there's been hard times in some of the people's lives in this room, that I guarantee you you've had more blessings than you've had in hard times. Guaranteed. But put it into practice even as we leave this building. I challenge you to write down what you did and see what you can learn. Write down who you contacted. Write down who contacted you. Make an effort to work at these things. Now, I don't have this, the following scripture in my slides behind me this morning, but it's probably very familiar to many of you. Let me read it for you. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He establishes his authority. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely... I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Folks, those are marching orders. Those are things that we are all, if, we're, if we proclaim our relationship to the Lord, if we proclaim it to be solid, to be a worthwhile relationship, then we have a job to do. And that's to glorify Him. And I've said this many times before, and I think that the best way to bring glory to God is to tell people about Jesus Christ. We've been given the opportunity to learn from the mistakes of the Corinthian church. So let's put what we learn into practice so that we won't fall into the, the Corinthian trap. I praise God for your desire to serve Christ. If there's anyone here that hasn't made a, a commitment to Christ, Scripture points it out very plainly. If we were to believe, we're to confess, we're to repent, we're to be baptized, 
and we're to live a faithful life. And I encourage you, if you haven't done so, to make that decision. We're going to use number 31, Drifting Too Far From The Shores, our hymn of invitation, the first and the third verse. Uh, if you have a decision to make this morning, would you come as we stand and sing? First and third verse, please stand. 